Welcome to the Readings Kids Book Podcast, a monthly podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the world of children's books and book selling. I'm Leanne Hall, a children's and YA bookseller and author. And I'm Angela Crocombe, manager of Readings Kids and occasional author. So today we are pretty much going to go from teenagers and then bounce down to babies and then bounce back up to teenagers and young adult fiction again in our themes. So we'll be talking about the boom or maybe the perceived boom in (laughs) YA rom-coms. We're going to, I'm going to get something off my chest um, about board books for babies about astrophysics and whether babies are really reading these books. (laughs) I've got some opinions about that one. There's a lot of genius babies out there, Leanne. So many genius babies. Um, And finally, we will talk um, with some trepidation (laughs) (laughs) about some of the stuff that happens on YA Twitter these days and give a little bit of an Australian perspective on that one. So to kick things off, is there a boom in young adult rom-coms, Angela? Yes, rom-com boom. Uh, We've seen a number of wonderful rom-coms in the last year and two of them we shortlisted for the Readings YA Prize, uh, Making Friends with Alice Dyson and What I Like About Me uh, by Jenna Guglielme, the second one, and Poppy Nuoso, the first one. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I was wondering actually when I – because I was looking at, you know, the YA Book Prize shortlist, I was like, wow, there really are a lot of rom-coms on that list Mm. and I was trying to figure out – I was trying to figure out whether I would classify the learning curves of Vanessa Partridge as well as a rom-com because it's both mm. a very, very serious book um, and an extremely funny book. Yeah. So uh, yeah. for me, it's I guess it doesn't fit into the light category. Um, there is romance, but most of it is pretty... Um, <laughs> there's some serious issues yeah, in there. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of issues of, of consent yeah. Um, yeah. and things that go wrong in that book. Yet it really does, I mean, it really does deal with the messy side of teenage romance and it is a funny book, yet I don't necessarily think that it makes you want to go out and fall in love. No. That's for sure. Yeah. And yeah. look, there are, I think that's the thing in YA, that there are so many heavy topics that are tackled in YA and dystopia is all doom and gloom as well. And, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of death of a family member, a lot of grieving teenagers and a yeah. lot of YA. Uh, even fantasy can be quite violent. So sometimes you just want to take a break from all that and, yeah. you know, have a little light romance in your life. Yeah. I feel like there's always um, been romance in in YA, but I guess it, romance is often of the troubled and dark and tragic yeah. sort. So it is actually quite refreshing um, to read romance um, with a lighter side to it. Um, do we think that... This boom follows a boom in like Netflix rom-coms or do you think that this occurred simultaneously? I'm wondering whether there's a cause and effect with Jenny Han's books being adapted um, for very, very successful um, movie screen rom-coms. I'm wondering, Mm. do you think they're just concurrent I think they must be because these authors were writing these books well before the Netflix um, show came out. So I think... 
Maybe there is just that general feeling of, hey, let's lighten up a little. And yeah. <laughs> is there any Enjoy. recent one that you've read that you would like to particularly <laughs> particularly to recommend? Well, perhaps I would like to mention our YA Book of the Month, which I did review. Uh, disclaimer alert, it is written by a reading staff member. but <laughs> we, we have to do that disclaimer regularly when talking about this book. Um, it's called It Sounded Better in My Head and it's a debut novel by Nina Kenwood who's on maternity leave from readings at the moment and none of us knew that she was writing this book until she was shortlisted for the text prize for the unpublished manuscript but it is just a corker of a book. I think what I really love about this book is it is it is very light and entertaining and very funny. Yeah, I do feel like um, some pretty serious topics are discussed, like kind of low self-esteem and mm. how difficult it is being vulnerable with somebody for the first time, as well as I think consent is a topic that is handled excellently. Yeah. Um, and it sounded better in my head without without losing any of the, the comedy or entertainment value, mm. which I think is, is quite a feat. I also think um, Amelia Westlake is another recent great Australian yeah, rom-com that really well, manages definitely. that balance of dealing with serious issues um, but with a really light touch mm, as yeah, well. Yeah. I just also wanted to say about Nina's book, I think the, some, the thing for me that is so special about it is that really intimate voice that the, the main character has where um, – it's almost like if you watch a TV show and then the, the character turns to you and looks at you in the screen and sort of talks directly to you. Yeah. It's that real intimacy. That flea bag type yes, kind of exactly. intimacy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the character does that all the time. She's like she she responds to other characters but then she's like, this is what I'm really thinking. And, and you know, so you really feel very close to her and what she's going through and you really identify with her. Uh, I think when she goes to her amazing. first party, I mean, it's absolutely excruciating. <laughs> it reminds you of how how awful it is to be inside your own head sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I thought that that yeah. um, scene was kind of pretty excruciating yeah. and oh, very, definitely. very definitely. relatable. Yes, and um, lots of people have told me they read it in one session, which is always a, a great sign. It's always a good sign, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I wanted to throw it. I actually, to be honest, do not read a lot of rom-coms. Um, but in thinking about this topic, I did jot down some of um, the recent ones I read in previous years. And I was like, oh, I've actually, you know, I haven't disgraced myself <laughs> here. I have read a few. Um, I read um, Somewhere Only We Know by Maureen Gu recently, which is oh, okay. super, super light and fun. Um and also, uh, a few years ago now, Confessions of a High School Disaster, Chloe Snow's Diary. Oh, I remember which is, you loved oh, that. Oh, I love that. I know. It's <laughs> it's embarrassing as a bookseller when you're banging on about the same book all the time. But it's one of the funniest <laughs> books I've ever read. It definitely doesn't make you want to run out and have a romance, though, because it's kind of a disaster <laughs> what happens in that book. And she, she sort of falls for this older bad boy. And you know his bad news and she knows his bad news. And surprise, surprise, he does turn out to be bad, <laughs> bad news. news. But it's very funny bad news. So, yeah, yeah. that's oh, a favourite. I, I have to um, mention then Melissa Keel, who oh, I yeah. think is just so wonderful at, at rom-coms um, and just does great male and female characters. You know, they're rom-coms that you could happily put in the hands of a, a teenage boy and he'll love it just as much. It's not particularly gendered towards the females but, they're just so funny and the characters are so quirky and the secondary characters are just so well drawn and, yeah, I really like her stuff. Excellent suggestion. So I reckon that's enough for us to officially say there is a boom yeah. in YA rom-coms, yeah. especially, especially with Australian authors. I feel like there's a, a good – oh, 
We have. <laughs> oh no, we've mentioned everyone. I thought we'd forgotten. We have mentioned everyone. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're looking for a light read, be you like teenager or adult, I'd say that mm. there's there's plenty of really light, funny, sweet, lovely. Yes love stories out there at the moment yeah and there's nothing wrong with that sometimes that's what you need yeah Moving on to our second topic. Mm, Genius Um, babies. Genius babies and are babies really reading board books about astrophysics? So I was the person who suggested this topic because I've always been baffled by the shelf of board books for babies that feature such topics as evolution, neural networks, robotics, electromagnetism, <laughs> quantum information, statistical physics, quantum entanglement, quantum quantum entanglement, which we can't even pronounce, <laughs> let alone understand. Um, so this started, I think, a few years ago with Chris Ferry's board yes. books. I think they're officially yes. called Baby University yes. and they're effectively science done in a board book style with very bright primary colours, thick pages as if they are for babies. And I also Mm. think another notable series um, that's similarly themed is Ruth Spiro's Baby Loves. Yes. And then which also discusses, you know, baby loves gravity, baby loves coding. I initially was quite baffled by these books, but they have been stayers and they Mm. sell quite well. Yeah, they do. Angela, what's your, what's, what's going on here? (laughs) Are babies reading these books? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, they're being read to them, obviously. I think their parents are probably learning a lot as well. Um, Look, I just want to, you know, kind of do an amazing shout out to Chris Ferry. I think the guy's a genius for coming up with this. This is a new genre, right? Yeah, this is is a a new genre. And I think, yeah, Ruth Spiro um, perhaps did a couple, but then he has done over 20 titles. And I actually did a bit of research on him in the last couple of days. He's a Canadian uh, lecturer in quantum systems at Sydney at UTS, sorry, University of Technology yep. in Sydney. Uh, he's, a, he's a father of four kids. Okay, so he has read to a lot of babies. <laughs> yes, he yep. has. He's he's a family man and um, I think that these books appeal to to science lovers, to, to science families. Yep. And that these people who are in this very high in science that, let's face it, we know nothing about. No, <laughs> I've read some of these books and I've got to say the information in them is pretty much at my level. Yeah, I can yeah. like barely understand. Yeah, the but stuff. they want to talk about kind of what they're doing at work with their kids and perhaps this is one way okay. of, of doing that. That makes sense. That's a nice way of sharing your job. Yeah, yeah. And I think they probably are bought for parents that have these kind of very academic science-y careers. Um, will these kids grow up to be amazing scientists? Well, we know that we need more scientists and we're trying to build STEM learning, so hopefully. Okay. I I feel convinced actually. (laughs) I came in like as a deep sceptic, but I think Angela's managed to convince me in just a few short minutes. Um, I've noticed actually because our readings kids shop is located quite close to the University of Melbourne, I've Mm. seen quite a few groups of um, I think like work colleagues coming in and buying these books as Mm. like 
um, funny joke gifts. Yes, for um, other work colleagues. For, for <laughs> other work colleagues. So I think that's a, kind of a secondary market yeah, perhaps yeah, for them. I, I think he's very smart, Chris Berry. Yeah. <laughs> it did get me thinking about why I was initially really baffled by these books in that my automatic thing when I see a board book is to think that it must be for babies, like for mm. sort of zero to two years. But I think actually that's just kind of my limited thinking because I think that there are some books – board books that are actually for much older readers. So mm. I um, picked off the shelf actually. I've, I've been a bit confused by these kind of um, adaptations of adult classics in board book form. So people love to do Jane Austen versions. I've got one here in my hands that obviously you cannot see listeners, um, but it's part of the Lit for Little Hand series and it's a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. It's extremely well illustrated and delightfully produced with lots of tabs and wheels. But it's really not for babies. Like it's, I think, perhaps for an adult lover of Austen um, and perhaps as a good way to introduce Jane Austen's stories, perhaps to sort of a, a, maybe a five to five to seven-year-old. Yeah. Um, yep. So I think maybe I've been a little bit um, narrow-minded in thinking of board books as being only for babies. As you said, they're, mm. they're shared, you know, they're often parents sharing concepts with much smaller children perhaps. Mm. Yeah. 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 Anything else you would like to add to the? No, I don't think so. I think I'm good. Yeah. So if you would like to um, understand such topics as blockchain mm. um, or green energy mm. or optical physics and you're a bit of a science nuff-nuff like me, um, I reckon maybe pick up one of these board books. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to go home and learn rocket science, I think. Are you? Mm, that's, Excellent. That's my plan. I've it's always, achievable. Yes, that's right. You know, I'm always saying it's not rocket science, but, you know, maybe it can be. All right. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to uh, delve into the murky waters of uh, the Twittersphere and cancel culture in YA lit that has been brewing, I guess, over the past year or so. A couple of years, I would say. Yeah, yeah, where people are... Um, accusing authors of uh, being racist or um, inappropriate and sending awful, awful messages to them and, and uh, hating them online to the point where some authors are actually pulling their books before publication or in some cases the publishing house is pulling the book before publication. Um, what's going on? Is this the way to handle things? Um we all, yeah, I mean, we do want a more diverse uh, industry and I think that's, that's it's coming from a good place but it, it's getting a bit nasty. What are your thoughts, Leanne? So I have so many thoughts about this. It's hard <laughs> to say and I do, I have read, there has been a plethora of articles, too many really to talk about mm. um, on this, you know, supposedly, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, toxic way, Twitter and that sort of thing. Everyone has had a say about this and the, the articles have taken lots of different angles. Um, some of the articles I think have been incredibly inflammatory and others 
um, have read in a lot more reasoned kind of way. There's one article that I, I will mention that I found particularly useful and measured, um, and that was called uh, titled Why a Twitter Can Be Toxic But It Also Points Out Real Problems by Molly Templeton in BuzzFeed. Um, look, Personally, as a person, I'm extremely non-confrontational mm, and really uncomfortable with strong emotions. <laughs> so I agree. I would say both face-to-face and on social media. So I'm extremely <laughs> circumspect in, and mild in the type of comments that I make online um, mm. and kind of pretty sensitive about strong language and, and the way p- that people choose to express themselves online. But I generally feel like social media has been wonderful for giving marginalised groups a voice and the Mm. ability to express opinions and engage in genuine critique. I think some of the – one of the problems I have with the way this issue is discussed is a lot of, like, just genuine comment and critique and um, marginalised groups who are underrepresented in the publishing industry um, and in books themselves being allowed to comment and and make fair comment um, about how – Um, and what they consider good or bad representation. Um, And I'm all for that. I actually think it's a beautiful thing about social media. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I, kind of have a little problem with people that that, um, characterise something as censorship when really it's just like fair comment and critique. It doesn't mean I would choose to express my... my, I I personally wouldn't express to... Um, choose to express my opinions in the ways that some people choose to express them. But I do Mm -hmm. think it's important that people have their say, especially when the publishing industry is kind of biased and unrepresentative um, itself. So that's kind of my starting – Yes. That's my starting yes. position with it, yeah. I, I think. Even though I'm a big wuss and I don't engage in kind of many Twitter, <laughs> you know, many Twitter conversations, yeah. I've got to say I have actually complained about certain books and certain characters and representation in books, um, but I've only started doing it – um, recently because mm. it's actually really scary and uncomfortable complaining. Um, <laughs> and so I've chosen perhaps to email sales reps to give yeah. them a reaction yeah. to the book and give a little yeah. feedback. Yeah. I think I've done that three times. Two times I, I got, you know, a nice response from the sales rep. I think one book something, small thing was changed in the reprint due to comments I'd made as a bookseller. Um, and I, you know, I've had some support from sales reps, and one of them, I, I didn't get any response to to my comments at all. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's been the way that I've chosen to. But I do think it's worth saying it. It can actually be really, um, it can be difficult to complain if you feel like there's not many of your sort of person in the industry to yeah. to be the one doing the complaining and having the bravery to speak out. So I guess that's that's kind of my position and, and where I'm coming mm. from with yeah. it. Yeah. I guess we need to acknowledge that the industry is overwhelmingly white and very privileged and generally female um, and that they are, you know, there are unconscious biases that everyone is working with um, that we need to, to be aware of, definitely. And I think in the last few years there's been a really great movement where people do want more diversity in the industry. We do want to hear from more voices and not the same um, you know, white voices anymore. So perhaps these are teething issues as we move to what we hope is is a more inclusive, more diverse industry where we are hearing from more voices and we have more 
diverse representation actually in the publishing houses and in the bookshops and um, so that, yeah, people feel more comfortable and feel yeah. like they're being spoken uh, appropriately yeah. about. Yeah, I do think everyone is is still figuring out how to talk about these yeah. things, yeah. you know, hence the, yeah. hence the amount of articles written about it and, and mm. some some authors or publishing professionals are comfortable talking about this publicly and, and some aren't comfortable mm. talking about this publicly because I think yeah. everyone is still working it out. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was what – there was a Guardian article about this as well and what was interesting uh, was that the journalist said that they'd approached I don't know, over 50 people and um, only 12 would actually speak to them on the record. You know, most of them just didn't want to, to put their voice to it for fear of – of being attacked, yeah, which is is not yeah. good. <laughs> What's interesting is I think they, these situations have by by and large been overseas and not in Australia. I don't really think that mm. this is something that generally has happened yet um, in the no. Australian publishing industry. There hasn't been any authors that have, for example, delayed a publication and revised or, or pulled a publication completely um, due to online comments or early reviews. But I. I guess it's only a matter of, a matter of time. Mm. I do feel like Aussie YA Twitter did um, jump into action recently um, to discuss um, John Marston's new book and the interviews that have been done in relation to it. Um, and there was an article kind of suggesting that that there had been a really nasty response and um, that there'd been a lot of hysteria in people's reactions, but I didn't find that at all online. I feel like people were actually discussing in a fairly measured way amongst Australian kind of authors and, and book mm. industry people were discussing, you know, in an opinionated but measured um, way that I didn't find inflammatory at all. So it's interesting how what is perceived by some people as, um, you know, quite angry talk or, or you know, a pylon or that mm. sort of thing um, is perhaps not experienced as, as that, is experienced as just, you know, measured fair critique yeah. by other people. So I think often, you know, um, tone can be really hard to yeah. to get on Twitter and, and using only text. So it's, it's very interesting, different people's um, interpretations yeah, of definitely. online comments. I feel like we've opened up about 10 different can of worms oh, with this goodness. discussion. But, you know, we've, we've, <laughs> we've done our best. And we've we've tried done to, our best. <laughs> it's a very difficult topic. It's, it's I do think cool. it's very important to discuss this stuff and I think there is a tentativeness to discuss this mm. um, in Australia. I certainly think there's a tentativeness in discussing this perhaps um, on festival panels or conferences. I don't think it's something that people kind of tackle head on. Um, and it is a very difficult and fraught thing to talk about. So. It is. It is. But I do think so. we need to have these conversations. Yeah, yeah. So please don't hunt us down. Or, or, or hunt <laughs> us down and email us. Um, I'll take on all responsibility for this one. If you do want to comment, you can email me at leanne at readings.com.au and we'd be really interested to know your thoughts and comments. What have you been reading? Oh, so many things, Leanne, so many things. What I did finish earlier this week, which I really enjoyed, was a YA dystopia uh, debut novel, I believe, by a playwright called Katie Warner. And the book is Everywhere, Everything, Everyone. And uh, it's set in a 
in a potential future world where uh, there is a pretty evil dictator. doesn't say whether he has orange hair or anything okay. like that, but he uh, builds a wall overnight and divides a city in half and uh, labels one side filled with threats and the other side the good, well-behaved citizens. And um, this, the main character is caught on the wrong side of the war, on the good side, but she actually lives on the threat side, so she's been separated from her family. Her father's already been taken away and imprisoned uh, for a very minor infraction. And so they're living under this sort of dictatorship and uh, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's really interesting and it, it does, you know, it, there's a lot of themes that you can pick up that are going on in the world at the moment uh, as well as it being a, a, a dystopian thriller. Uh, I really enjoyed it and it Excellent. had a great ending. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. And very timely by the sounds yes, of it. Yes, yeah. very timely. How about you? Uh, this month I'm going to recommend The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling by Y. Chim, um, which has just come out this month. Um, it's a really fantastic Australian YA novel about um, a teenager who's coping with her mother's um, ill mental health. So um, her mother's not doing too well um, and Anna is trying to kind of keep her family together, take care of her siblings um, her father is very, very busy running um, the family's restaurant, um, which Anna then goes and works at in school holidays and kind of meets um, meets her first boyfriend. Um, and it's it's a really um, it's a really lovely, thoughtful book that um, explores the issue of mental health in an immigrant um, immigrant Asian Australian family. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic, um, and. This is embarrassing to admit, but I've only just read Wanda Smith, which is um, <laughs> Jessica Townsend's second book in the Morrigan Crow series. I was It's been out for a long time. I was a little bit slow with it, um, but it was absolutely wonderful. Um, I loved it even more than Nevermore. Um, it set it up well for the third book, so I can't wait for the next one in the series, which I think does actually come out later this year. No, no. no? I'm sorry, oh. Leanne. It's been delayed till 2020 okay. for book three. It's very disappointing. Disappointing, so. but I'm always happy for authors to take longer if they need to, you know. I know <laughs> yes, what it's like. You want to get the book right. You want it to be the best book possible. So I, I take all delays on the chin. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I wanted to quickly mention, actually, was just that we have started – a new thing, which is quite exciting at readings, which is a kid subscription um, yes. service. Um, I won't go into the details because I'll mess them up and then people will be mad at me. Um, but go to the readings website. Basically, you can sign up for a six-month or a 10-month um, kid subscription where we will send a new release picture book that is suitable for ages zero through to four years every month to the loved little one of your mm. choice. Yeah, Anywhere I think we Australia wrap it up and, yeah. and make it look beautiful. And the first book is uh, Ty Snaith's beautiful new picture book, which is our picture book of the month, and it's gorgeous. Excellent. So we can recommend doing that. Just go to the website to figure it out. Other than that, thank you for listening, and we will see you next month, we hope. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs>